Real Estate Podcast, Master Keys. Master I'm Neil Andrino, Mr. Chandler Halliburton. How are you? Today we're going to be covering affordable housing. Hot button topic. I love it. Yeah. We're going to be going over what affordable housing is, our opinions on what the best way to solve it is, kind of who is to blame, who's there to help solve it and fix it. Yeah. One short yeah. hour here, guys. We're going to we're we're gonna gonna solve fix the whole affordable thing. housing. Yeah. Right here today. It's going Take out down. your notepads because it's all going to get fixed. Well, it's super relevant because we're landlords, so we play yeah. a role in this. Yeah. Um, the question is, what is that role? Um, and we're often really scapegoated uh, as as the um, issue, as the, as the problem in the, yeah. in the whole situation. So we'll talk a lot about that. But uh, where do you want to be in? Kick us off. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to give, like you were saying, we're at the hop. We're both landlords, so we have we're coming from that, I guess, opinion and that side of things. Yep. Um, I think we both own units that I would say are brand new and are in the top of market rents in some areas. Yeah. And then also some units that are probably older and outdated and also offer what I would consider affordable pricing. Yeah. So, I mean, if people are looking at stock sometime, they might come across the terms class C, class B, class A. Yeah. Um, a lot of that has to do with age, condition, material. Like, you know, is it a wood frame building? Is it a concrete frame or concrete um, structure? Yeah. Uh, and then the condition uh, of the renovation. So I think we would probably say we often take C-level stock yeah. and turn it into... Um, probably B minus or, or, or B, sorry, B plus A minus. And that's not, yeah. you know, to be, speak disparagingly, but until you have things like a, a elevator, um, as opposed to walk up in concrete, as opposed to wood frame, um, common areas, you know, you're probably not a class product again, kind of, uh, you're, you're on the fringe if, if you will. Um, yeah. but that's at the root of this is because C class is, um, affordable because it is often in disrepair. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, this idea of taking a downtrodden property, raising the, you know, making capital investment in that property, raising the value of that property and raising the rents, that oftentimes is a highly contentious issue. Controversial topic. Yeah. 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 And it upsets a lot of people on both ends. Uh, Yeah. So I've definitely faced it. I know with mine where I've had calls from all sorts of people uh, with comments and things to say about why what I'm doing is wrong. Really? You're getting that directly to you, are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, From politically involved people, um, as well as like news outlets and things like that. No way. Uh, And then obviously directly from the tenants. Uh, Yeah. And some some of my my clients, people who know who I am, and like we just like we grew up together and then they find out that's what I do. And they're like, oh, you're part of the problem. And I'm like, really? Man, I've somehow dodged that direct criticism. Um, Maybe take my contact information off the screen right now. You know, I I think there is a right and wrong way to do it. Um, And the reality is, though, when you do it en masse, especially in this climate, you are going to draw attention and um, it's not going to be favorable in a lot of cases. But there's there are mistruths on both sides of that, though, at the risk of starting, you know, really, really broad. Let's talk about what you think affordable housing mean or, or or what definitions are out there, because there's a lot of misconception around that as well. Yeah. So I think that's the first thing is it covers what is affordable housing. For me, what affordable housing is, is basically, yeah, it's somewhere that you can live, but it, it's dependent on location. I'm going to preface with that. So affordable yeah. housing is based on location. Uh, you're living in an area that basically is considered to be slightly less costly than what is in that area there. Um, so if you're downtown in any city, Let's say one bedroom rents for two grand. If you're able to get into it for fifteen hundred bucks, I would consider that to be like an affordable option, uh, because yeah, that is a twenty five percent rent dip. Now I understand that fifteen hundred bucks is still a very high number if that's fifty percent of what you make, but again, you have to base it on location because some locations are more expensive than others. Um, now I understand, and for me, another big thing is that a lot of affordable housing is targeted towards uh, minimum wage workers. And so for that to actually be affordable, there's usually literally a number that's set in stone. And they can say like $770 would be considered affordable for all of the minimum wage workers in a province. And so to do that, that needs to be made somewhere else. And that's what I would call affordable as well, is some sort of setup where they have that. But I can't, I struggle to say affordable housing if it's, it's all location-based for me. And this is a huge part of the problem because you ask anyone that, even people who are champions of the cause or feeling one way or the other on the side of the issue, ask them what affordability means. And there's no consensus on the definition exactly. yeah. because there's affordable housing, capital A, you know, um, the, 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 the social welfare, um, 
security net that, that we all hope to have in, in a society that provides for those at most at risk from a housing perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then there's affordability from CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing. Yeah. So they set their measure of what affordable rent is, is 30% of household income. Yeah. Right. So if you take Halifax, the average household income uh, in Halifax is about 90K. Yeah. And what that means is um, 30% of that is what your rent should be. On yep. average, yeah. Um, so thirty percent of ninety k, what twenty seven? Yep. So what's that? Twenty two to twenty three hundred bucks a month. Yep. Now there's going to be a lot of people listening out there paying rent that says, "Oh my God, that's not affordable." And they're right, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's yep. not. Um, but from a CMHC perspective, all they can do is take market average across a given area. So in Halifax, the average household income is ninety thousand. Yep. And that combines both single income uh, individuals and two income households. Mm-hmm. And 30% of that, if you meet or exceed, which means if you hit that level or you're under that threshold, technically you are providing affordable housing. Yep. And there's no even um, specifics on is that a one bedroom? Is that class A? Is that class B? What have you? You know, So right off the hop, there's a real issue with what affordable housing means. Because by this definition – at roughly $2,200 a month. So we're doing pretty good. Every single unit I provide is affordable housing according <laughs> to the CMHC standard. And Same. have I used that in certain arguments or when someone's coming at me? I absolutely have. Um, <laughs> but therein lies some of the problem because I think some people would agree that that's certainly not affordable for everyone. And like yep. you mentioned, there's a spectrum in terms of in terms of areas. So I think right off the hop, people need to understand or, or be really clear on what definition of affordable housing they're using because that's what CMHC says. Yeah. It's about 2200 bucks a month in Halifax for rent based on the average household income. But clearly that's not realistic. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's, there's such outliers on both ends, right? Like obviously on that side, you get someone that's making a third of that and you have someone that's making three times that. And, totally. and so that, that really makes it kind of messy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I was, when you asked me that even, I was like, oh my God, I don't really have a formalized definition because I struggle with it. Because like you said, it's, it's so dependent on the person, the location, the product, there's so many variables that are involved in doing that. Um, but so I guess then transitioning from that, now that we have an idea of kind of what it is to an extent, basically as best as we can assume, I think everyone gets the idea. I think it's, it's like, I don't know, it's, a, it's addressing the, the like we're seeing now more people, more, more tents downtown. Yep. Uh, yep. there's just more and more people struggling to find a place to live. And there's a lot of people that are saying they have to take on another job or ask for money from a family member or something like that to do it. And so I think that's like helping those people. But again, how do you then determine who those people are and then accurately give them that, that housing? Yeah, this is the, this is the problem. Like, like within the affordability spectrum, there are kind of these micro cohorts that struggle in different ways. I mean, even if you take that same 30% of household income measure, um, and, and a lot of advocacy groups kind of use that a little bit, but they might be dealing with someone whose family household income is, you know, $30,000, yeah. right, for, for the year. If it's a yeah. single individual, a single parent, they've got $30,000. Well, now what they can, um, you know, what, what they can afford on rent is, is $9,000 for the year. And what's that divided by 12? I mean, you're talking less than $800 a month, bucks a month, right? Like, um, and now that's where the most extreme... Um, concern is because those are folks that are legitimately facing um, a risk of homelessness, right? Those are the most at risk individuals. So one of the things that I find very frustrating is that the conversation gets hijacked by people who are upset that, you know, the two bedroom that they rent on Agricola, you know, has gone up $200 in rent over the last 18 months. And that is a different affordability issue going, say, between 1400 and 1650 to going, you know, at, at these lower ends where these are individuals who are very much at risk of homelessness. Um, that those are two separate conversations. And unfortunately I find it, it gets a little bit muddy there as people kind of look at it at different thresholds, because then you also have maybe a family that, um, is, you know, struggling paying $1,700 a month in an area that is quickly becoming $2,000 a month or yep. 1900 going up to 2600 So that is a different situation than um, the people who might be going from 12 to 14 and different again from the people going from 7 to 1000 yep. So within 
the the conversation, there's these three different conversations, and how do you address all of those at once? And um, there's no clean answer, which is why you get these really arbitrary things like, well, 30% of the average household income is what we're going to call affordability by CMHC standards. Yeah. Um, and then you get advocacy groups that try to apply this to different um, different cohorts of the population, if you will. And, and it's tricky, man. It's tricky. It, exactly. That's what I think is there's a big – the people I think that are – falling out and like on the like they're really risking homelessness i don't even know if their voice is being heard i think what we're hearing is more the people like you're saying that they're on a grid and they're just going up by 200 bucks a month yeah they're the ones that are freaking out and then you yeah. get some of these rules like the rent controls and stuff like that but then it's not those are not helping those people that are paying 800 bucks a month that are losing the unit like that's you know well what I mean? what'll occasionally happen is one of these advocacy groups will you know be notified of a situation um and they'll show up there with the media they'll slap a t-shirt on a tenant um and they'll take a nice photo op yeah. um and in a lot of cases they'll drag the landlord um through the mud through, through the mud in yeah. a situation um but in my actual practical purposes where I've kind of looked at some of these housing organizations and tried to create um, a relationship there whereby maybe, you know, I could provide a unit for one of their clients. Um, They could get some subsidies. You know, I could see what's available on my end. Um, I was actually really disappointed by their lack of motivation to think outside the box. And I understand when you work in that sector, you're kind of at the whim of government. Um, But... I, I was disappointed by their lack of enthusiasm, to be totally honest. And, and there's a lot of great people working at a lot of great organizations. But I thought when I was looking to build this new project that I would have a line of partners looking to do stuff with me. And a, a lot of them said, yeah, that's not really our thing. I was having this rant actually in the office yesterday, two days ago. Same thing. I was turning over some of these units and they called me and they wanted one unit in the building. But they called me every two weeks asking for a unit in the building. And I said, how about we just take the whole building? There was no no interest in doing that. I was offering mm-hmm. them a discounted rate and all those kind of things. I'm like, you guys can fill it. Then you're able to, because a lot of times they have other services that go along with it. I was yeah. like, now they're all located in one one building. You're able to do it. They couldn't, like, but we only need the one today. And I'm like, within two weeks, you're going to need six. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what, are, you, what are we thinking here? Yeah. But nothing. Or it's kind of, um, you know, it gets to the point where it's not really realistic. They're like, well, our budget is $500 a month. Yeah. It's like, well, you're going to need to top that off with something else. Um, and they get their funding from the government. So you might notice that while all this is going on, all of these advocacy groups, they're highly, highly critical of the landlords. Yeah. Rarely ever critical of the provincial government. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And, and I'm not I'm not here to be an apologist for landlords. A lot of landlords are doing bad things and going about this the wrong way. Yeah. However, if we want to actually talk about real change, one of the things is that, you know, when these groups get their funding from the province to then run these programs, they then become paid by the very government that I think is horrendously failing in the affordable housing department uh, that has abdicated their responsibility for affordable housing. And I find that these groups that are very critical and very vocal when there's a chance to campaign for something um, aren't as hard on the government as they should be because I think um, that for the last how many years, 20 years, the provincial government has completely dropped the ball on affordable housing. I think they're in an awkward scenario though on the same, like to give them some, I'll give them a little bit of credit in the sense that you're being fed by the government, even though oh, you're not, even though you're yeah. not being fed enough or properly. There's you're, that too. You're getting yeah. your little dribble, and so yeah. you can't then bite the hand that feeds. So then you have to turn your target to the other party involved. Totally. And listen, you know I mean? it's um, it's not an enviable position. And again, there's a lot of people doing phenomenal work. Um, the unfortunate thing is we're doing all of these band-aid solutions for lack of a better term there's a little bit here there's a little bit there there's this one group that has their mandate to do this there's another group that has a very specific mandate to do that um they're operating inside these little boxes and we kind of need to to set you know press the reset button um and and start fresh i mean if we're going to go really broad strokes here (laughs) i'm of the belief that until the provincial government actively becomes a landlord again we are not going to have any solution to affordable housing. That is the only solution is if the government intervenes and not through throwing money because, you know, they're throwing federal money at this. They're throwing some provincial money. There's CMHC. There's this. There's that. And they love to throw money at it. And they say, here you go. Uh, sort this out. It's not going to work. It has never worked. Um, and I understand the provincial government not wanting to touch, um, you know, housing um, because they don't have a great 
track record with it. I agree to an extent, but I actually also disagree. I think it's got to be done in the private sector. If the government's handling it. Well, it's not gonna. It's not gonna okay. But before we go down that path, let's just talk about what causes affordable housing. Before we go into the solutions and what we think our solution is, let's just go down the the quick. And again, this is what causes affordable housing. Again, there's these different sectors, and it's different for everyone that's kind of facing whether it be a two hundred dollar rent increase or full on getting kicked out for the rent to double. Um, but what would you say if you if someone asked you what what's what's the oh, root man. cause of the fact that we now are struggling to have enough affordable units for the people in our city? Cheapers, man. We're going into some big philosophical ideas. So <laughs> are um, they though? No, no. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the fact that there's like the death of urban areas and this migration of people into city centers. Okay. Like that is efficient in a lot of ways, but it drives up real estate prices. And then it creates these kind of required labor tiers where there need to be certain people to work certain jobs. Um, and then unfortunately they get squeezed out of the areas in which they work by yeah. the rising costs of real estate. Uh, and then in theory, in a lot of these cities, they basically bus people in that live in affordable areas outside of town and get bussed in to do, um, labor effectively. And, you know, here in Nova Scotia, we don't even have the advantage of that because we don't have a good transit system. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got a situation whereby there's a peninsula surrounded by water. It's very concentrated, high, high value real estate and um, people are getting squeezed out and even the peripheral communities where they might be able to live more affordably, they cannot get to town and they can't access resources like hospitals and, and all these things. With that being said, how come cities like in Quebec, like in Montreal, the rents are still reasonably affordable? I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. I haven't really... Okay. Uh, so people have mentioned that to me. I, I know that their pricing, I mean, Halifax has a high rent based on GDP, household income, value of property and all that. I'm not sure. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm, that? I, I don't have a rhetorical? stat up here. Maybe you try if you can find it, but I'm pretty sure the average like rent per one bedroom, two bedroom and all that is actually lower in like a city like Montreal, which is substantially bigger than, than Halifax, obviously. Um, but their rents are like just way, way more relaxed. Uh, so I don't know if I agree with what you're saying, but I, I also like, am like, do you think that's the root cause of it? Cause the migration of people coming here, I always, obviously no, it's a population, it's population growth that causes this push out, but on the yep. flip side, why are we not able to keep up with it? We're not even close to keeping up with it. Well, I think the reality, like every, every city is different. Um, I know. See, yeah, there's usually a chart, I think from CMHD that shows, like we'll have all the major cities in that's Canada. It's inc- incredible. Um, that's still cheap. Yeah, no, like that's the, why I was saying that. That's incredible. Um, well, I think like there has to be a multiple pronged attack to this. And and there's the role of government, which I think has to be f- first and foremost, especially for the most at-risk individuals. I mean, you're talking about, oh, you know, rent's affordable in Montreal, um, you know, but is it still like, how is it different for people maybe getting that two bedroom in in you know, one area of, of Montreal that might be able to afford the $1,500, but what are they doing for the people that most uh, are, are most at risk? Because again, we take that average across the population. What does that actually tell you when you unpack it at, at the different layers? Yeah, but, exactly. That's a very, um, yeah. yeah. I do think the government needs to intervene aggressively um, by becoming a landlord and developing stock of housing as quickly as possible for the most at-risk individuals. Then I do think there has to be a... Um, you know, the, the management and the execution of that is going to be done by the private sector because that's what the private yeah. sector does. The government doesn't contract. They're not general contractors or property managers, yeah. um, but they have to be the landlord at the end of the day. Then I think the private sector has to get better engaged through programs offered by CMHC and, and to find these affordabilities because the reality with the private sector is they have to be, you know, there's altruism there and all that, but there has to be some financial incentive to do it. It, it has to at least be a net zero change for them to do this. Yeah. Um, and then I think there have to be these small changes. Like if you look at Montreal, they're far more innovative with respect to secondary suites, um, yeah. height of buildings. Like they, they, you know, they've managed to develop their city while keep a lot of heritage in a way that Halifax has struggled with for a long time. I think the new center plan that allows more density, um, but you know, manageable density, six to eight stories along corridors, these secondary suites. I think these are all going to help significantly. The problem is, you know, you have to predict 10 and 20 years ahead what your need is. And our city grew 
um, at a rate that was quicker than the housing stock was was catching up. So I'm optimistic that all this new construction, because I'm a believer, but that if you build new units, they will relieve some of the pressure on the older stock. I do believe that, and it'll help to keep those rents down. Um, but it has to be combined with what the government's going to do and what people can do in terms of like putting a backyard suite in their house, um, you know. And maybe there's some mid-scale things that you allow these three-story townhouses that are actually kind of split as over-under flats. So instead of getting six of them, you get 12. Yeah. All these little things I think will help. So, okay, so you said a lot there, and we went back down the path of solving it. But I, I just go, again, so to go back to just originally what we said, what's causing it, you're saying the migration and the influx of people, which, again, I think that's a fairly government-controlled thing. For, like, a lot of it is. Like, a, a big, big portion of our growth is through immigration, which is something that the government's mandating and allowing. So they know how many people they're letting in. They're like, yeah, okay, we're going to approve 12,000 people this year to move here. Yeah. But then we're only going to we're only going to approve 3,000 units. I, I think that's, you know, the, the... I understand it's two different levels of government. Yeah, I, I get and, that. And, and that's kind of like, okay, the crux is, or, or, or the, the beginning point is, as a Western society, we have decided that... In terms of services and resources, it is most efficient to jam people in a small area and build up. Yeah. That's kind of right or wrong. That is the- Worldwide consensus. That's what the approach we've taken. And I think we've struggled here with having other peripheral hubs that are also economically viable that could offer more affordable places to live um, that we're just drying up. Like if you look at a lot of our province, it was drying up in these other areas, which was forcing people to go to some of these these spaces where I think, you know, if Truro and Bridgewater and Sydney and, you know, Kenville, they all became these little hubs where people could run businesses and, and have families, then I think that would alleviate some of, of the rental pressure. But I think that's kind of like the first thing is like, all right, we're jamming people in here, which means we're driving up the cost of real estate. Um, and, you know, then you start getting some of these... Um, Side effects, I guess, if you will. So there's a demand increase that's being, I wouldn't say created, but it kind of is. Like that's basically the economy is based on immigration. Uh, I know there's the migration that we're seeing. So it's a, it's a double down. It's the immigration from out of out of country across Canada. Uh, and then there's migration hyper-locally for us. There's a ton of migration, right? Like some place like Toronto, they're facing the opposite, I think, where there's people migrating out. Um, and they're actually seeing rent drops. Uh, but like here, we're seeing a huge migration inwards. Mm-hmm. So that, and then, yeah, so for me, I, I always boil it back to supply and demand. I got in a pretty big conversation with somebody the other day, and they were going on about a lot of alternative topics to it. Uh, but I think it's it's it can be boiled back quite a bit to supply and demand. I understand there's a lot yeah. of... And we're backlog, right? We haven't had as much increase in supply as we've needed over the last 15 years, and we're eating it now as a result. Yeah. Right? So I, I think that's that's kind of the thing. Like when I The thing that I find really bothers me, like you're saying similar with this government programs, is like I look at the supply. It takes, it, it's very slow to come online. Um, and it, it the government doesn't make it much easier. They're, they're not really super excited no. for landlords here to come on. It's been very, especially in Halifax, it's, it's extremely, the landlords are very vocal about it, especially developers. The big developers are very vocal about it. Um, but then I see things like, okay, federal government allots $300 million to whatever, the provincial government of Nova Scotia to provide affordable housing. And then I see, okay, we're going to do a study. It's going to take 18 months and a million and a half dollars to figure out what to do with the $300 million. Yeah, or there's... Um, and I'm like, like... There was one that came out and they said... Look what but, all the developers are doing. Like, yeah. Just build the shit. But then there was some that, that was actually like, oh, but by the way, we have to award this money in the next like 30 days. I did so. You, then you have kind of these haphazard applications or you have things that were already in the works anyway. Yeah. Now getting this funding, it's like, well, that doesn't necessarily spur on more. And again, every little bit helps. But I think the problem is the government has thought too small and in too many cases has just been like throw money, let these groups do what they do. And one of the challenges is, again, those groups, they in a weird way end up competing against each other. There are limited funds. Yeah. So you may have a group that – um, tries to tackle this subset of the housing crisis and another group that tackles that subset. And now there's only so much money to go around. Yeah. And so rather than finding some, you know, um, cohesion and, and some efficiencies by working together, they're kind of pitted against each other, which also is a problem. Um, so I, I don't think the, the uh, just throwing money at it is going to work. It hasn't worked. Um, we do have to increase supply though. That said, you know, I love economics because it just says in an, in a vacuum, this is what's going to happen, right? You increase supply, right? Prices are going to go down. 
It's even, true. E- yes, However, but even not in a vacuum. If, if well, because around there's no vacuum. But yes, yes. But here's if the you, thing. If you drop 10,000 units on the peninsula right now, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you for free, I can give you a guarantee written insurance policy that rents are going to go down. It, yeah, no, listen, I, I agree with you. I, what I was and, going and to. And no one's going to go out to these exterior neighborhoods like they are now and pay 1400 $1, bucks a month. I was trying to pivot, Neil. I was trying to pivot to make a point. Okay, sorry. No, I ahead. agree with you. However, if we return to. Uh, those 10,000 units on the peninsula are not necessarily going to help someone who's currently paying $700. Like their rent is not going to uh, immediately stabilize necessarily, necessarily. However, oftentimes, um, and you remember, uh, you, you mentioned something like, okay, you know, take the whole building yeah. because there are going to need to be resources and other things in place yeah. with that client base. Yeah. And what I'm kind of alluding to is that oftentimes – um, you know, the most at-risk individuals also have either health, mobility, or mental health struggles yeah. um, that make them doubly at risk. Yeah. So it's not just a simple vacuum of, okay, well, we jack up supply, and now these people are going to be perfectly fine because their rent is just this amount. Um, you know, the challenge with, even in a perfect world, if the um, private sector starts, um, you know, making it possible for individuals on lower income to pay a lower rent, um, they may still lack the other resources. And that's another issue. Like these condensed cities, it's been proven, it leads to mental health issues, right? Yeah. Like it just does. Yeah. And so now you've got this portion of the population that, you know, is... Some people thrive, some people survive in every environment. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so again, you can't tackle the housing issue oh, for the people that... blanket thing. Yeah, but, but like the people who are most at risk in the housing crisis also are just the most at risk... In life in general, um, oftentimes. Let me pause you for a quick second. One thing I don't think we we have mentioned, uh, and we kind of just are assuming it because we kind of know, but a private developer, even if they got the land for free, could not go out and build units that would meet the criteria to be affordable. Simply to make the payments on the loans involved, the taxes, the insurance, the water, like... Once you oh make my all God, those, it's not even close. yeah, I did one recently with someone, and the base, like, if you build the cheapest units where it's like just as garbage as you can get, but you meet the code, wood frame, no nothing fancy, like pedestal sinks, like literally like garbage, uh, you're going to be getting like you still need like thirteen hundred or fourteen hundred to be able to make to make any money. Totally, not, not even to make money, just to cover your costs. Man, the idea of the land being free doesn't matter. The land is literally the cheapest part of the entire construction yeah, process. But my point, I'm just saying yeah. that for somebody because somebody looking in here, if you're not a developer and you don't know all the numbers, totally. like, well, why don't the developers just keep their rents a little lower? Yeah, we f- physically cannot. So, I mean, some of the folks listening to this will have mortgages and some won't. But just for really easy numbers, what the, the type of construction Neil is talking about with HST is probably about $250,000 a unit. Yeah. Okay? And anyone out there who has a $250,000 mortgage knows that that's approximately $1,200 a month. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. But uh, including your property tax. So, yep. that's $1,200. And then a new building that you're trying to make affordable, you'd probably include the utilities in that. Yeah. So, if you're the... Landlord owner, if you're paying twelve hundred dollars to service your debt, um, including your property tax, one hundred and twenty-five in utilities. Yeah, one hundred and twenty-five in utilities because you're going to give them free water, you're going to give them free heat and all that. Which which new buildings do because there is some economies to that. 50 and then bu- fifty bucks insurance. Fifty bucks insurance. Um, common common amenity spaces like you have to heat the common areas as well. You have to clean the mats in the entryway. You have to, you know, all of these things. Yep. There's just no way possible. To build a unit. That's at 1400 already. Yeah. There's just no way possible to build a unit that doesn't cost $1,400 a month. So this is why saying, well, the landlords need to do more. And this is why when people say, oh, my gosh, there's a new development over there and there's 100 units and someone quickly gets on their you know keyboard warrior and says, well, how many units in there are affordable? It's like, well, <laughs> it, it's it's that's not the root of the issue. But like, like you said, when those 100 units get rented – the people who, you know, that alleviates some of the demand pressures on the other units, and you hope that that plays one of the roles. It's a multi-pronged attack, Th- but... That's um, my logic. It, yeah, exactly. Just to explain it even a little more clearly, like, if you could rent in downtown for a 1000 bucks a month, there'd be no reason anyone would migrate. There'd be some, but on majority, would not migrate to an, a neighborhood 20 minutes from downtown and pay a 1000 bucks a month for that same one bedroom that three, four years ago was rented for 600 bucks. Yeah. But that's happening right now because there is no availability on the peninsula, uh, even for the new expensive stuff. 
Yeah. And so not only are they coming out to pay a thousand bucks a month, they're coming out to pay fourteen hundred for a renovated one. Yeah. Because it's like it feels yeah. the same as the one on the peninsula. And they don't mind driving the extra. Well, they have no choice but to drive there 15 minutes. And here we get into another issue. Like you talked about Montreal. And, and again, I can't spe- speak really with any expertise on, on how they managed to keep it affordable. Nor can I really. But. Um, but it's a much larger city. How come people can move across it so much easier? Well, because they have a better transit system. Yeah. Right? Like we are, we, we struggle with this, that, that we are not a city as small as we are, that you can get around that easily. So yeah. even if you wanted to be a shrewd person who was going to pick up a, an affordable apartment and be willing to say, yeah, I'm okay taking a slightly, you know, being two extra train stops to yeah. get to work, we don't have a train. So <laughs> it's a moot point. <laughs> we barely have a ferry that goes right two stops. Yeah. So again, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into making a city affordable to live in. Um, new construction is going to alleviate some of the pressure. It's not going to be able to provide the stock in any significance um, because a lot of individuals too, if you ask them, say you take someone who's been, um, um, you know, been, uh, I don't want to say dislocated because that's, that's a, a medical term, but, <laughs> but someone who has lost their rental unit. Um, displaced. Displaced from their rental unit in North End Dartmouth. Yeah. Even if a developer said, I've got great news for you. I got this beautiful new unit. It's subsidized. It's down off Barrington. Yeah. That person may say, I don't want to live in on Barrington. Yeah. Right? My family, my life is in North and Dartmouth. So I think it's more important um, to not kind of just tell people like, oh, we're going to put you in affordable housing over here, but to ask them and to create a situation whereby they can stay in their neighborhoods or in their homes anyway. Yeah. Right? That is... Uh, a better solution, I think, and that'd be the solution that, that people, I think, would want, just to be able to stay either in their home um, or at least in their community. Yep. Um, and that's something that's lost as well when you just kind of throw these incentives um, at developers. And also, to circle back to my initial point, it's very easy for a developer to say, I hit an affordability criteria, yeah. <laughs> right? Because 30% of household income means a unit that's $2,200. So these new... There's that. And then there's also the, the what is it, the 10% below market rents in your neighborhood. Yep. But that's become a trick because, okay, so your neighborhood South End Halifax, well, the average rent's two grand a month. So yep. you rent them for 1800 you are now qualified and you get the funds. Yeah, and no one can tell me that that is helping the actual problem that we need to be concerned with. It's not, you know, no. it's, and that's not to say it doesn't have a benefit for people who are in that 12 to 14 range. It does. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't serve the most at-risk individuals. Can I now explain myself and why I think it makes more sense for private sector to yeah, build yeah, the totally. units than the government? Because I have a build few other things or, I want to like touch on. Build or like pay for or manage and be a landlord for? No, I mean build. Okay. And yeah. then also run. Really? Okay. Let me hear it. So uh, at least this is how I feel. And maybe that's because it's... The, and the, own? The, the, yeah. Okay. It's the situation that I'm in. But so right now, even to get the money to build affordable, it takes an eternity. Mm-hmm. But the government... They get it. I understand that there's a lot of layers that has to go through before a decision can be made. They're under a ton of pressure, too, because if they make the wrong decision, it's the be-all, end-all for whoever's probably in, in at that time. Um, additionally, to be honest with you, most of the decision-makers in the government probably don't own or have ever operated a rental in their life. Mm-hmm. Like, the person penning off where the $100 million will go doesn't have a single rental unit. Mm-hmm. But they're making this decision on how to run, operate, where to build them the whole works. Anyways, that, that's an aside as well. But so there's, there's that aspect, then, then the timeline, and then again, the, the amount of money that gets wasted. If you provide it to private sector, to people that are like, this is how I see it. So for myself, I'm trying to get into this game. I want to build aggressively. Financing is a giant barrier for me. And they're willing to offer 100% financing to landlords to build if you meet their criteria. 110% in some, some scenarios. Um, but I went to go do that and the list of criteria that they offered me was, first of all, it's going to take you two years. The guy, the guy had seen my shoes, like, when do you want to have this started? And I was like, well, I don't know, next year. He's like, he's like, if we started today and we hit not a single roadblock, he's like, you would not be able to have a shovel in the ground until 2023. That's what he said to me. He's mm-hmm. like, there's no shot. Like, there is no way. He's like, you'd have, everything would have to go perfect, and that's when you're going to start. Yeah. The next thing was the net worth requirement. They, they needed me to be worth, like, like absurd amount of money. He's like, okay, if the building is going to be 20 million, you got to be worth five or 10 million bucks, mm-hmm. which I understand a lot of banks want, but 
at the end of the day, like uh, no one, like, you know what I mean? Like someone who's got that much money then I'm going to go to a regular bank, build a regular building and charge regular rents. So, so far you're telling me a lot of reasons why the private sector can't do it. So no, not get to well, that's, how they could. that's why they can't do it. And that's yeah. why they're being prevented. But I think they should drop those barriers because if, if they had the right. program, if I was able to go in and be like, yeah, you know what? I am newer, but you guys are going to finance me hundred percent on a 20 unit and I have to maintain the rents at this level. For me, I'm going, okay, you know, this is going to allow me to build a little bit of cash flow, get, get a building. Even if I have to run it for 20 years at a low rent, it's actually allowing me to get into here and build the stock that's required. I'd be all over that because I'd be like, look, this is like, it'd be a literal job for me that I can go out and just keep building units. I had the funding all day. Build, right, build, but build, we just build, said build. that you couldn't build those units and, and rent them out for less than $1,400 a month. Yes, but this is saying give the subsidy to the private sector to actually build them and, and, and run them. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. I think that's part of it. And, and CMHC programs are available for that. So there's two. I can't remember the acronym for the first one, but that's the one where you, in theory, could get up to 100% financing. Yeah. The issue with that is that um, it's awarded by CMHC, th- so it's national, yeah. which means you and the market here are competing nationally for money against Everyone. Vancouver, yeah. right? Toronto, yeah. all of these other areas. Yeah. Um, second to that, only one in four gets approved. And they don't have bad applications. I, right? I, I looked at this at this process as well. Um, so they get four very good applications and yeah. one of them gets approved. That, yeah. That's the ratio. And that's actually, the, the ratio is getting worse because more and more people are applying for them. So it'll probably, yeah. by the time this year's rounds, next year's round, it'll one probably be more like one in six. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, their criteria are difficult, but they give you a 21 or a 25 point checklist. Yeah. Of, you know, do, how do you meet these? And, you know, to qualify, you have to meet the affordability, which is 30% of gross household income. Um, and then you get one extra point if you go, um, you know, 10% lower. Yeah. Two extra points if you go 20% lower. Three extra points if you go 30% lower. Yeah. Um, then how long will you agree to do this? Will you agree to do it for five years? Will you agree to do it for 10 years? Will you agree to do it for 20 years? Um and again, you get more and more points for these. It gets to the, it gets prohibitive. Mm-hmm. It gets impossible to do. Um, the other issue that I struggled with because I went through this, you know, rabbit hole, is everyone clusters around twenty-one points, right? Like you can yeah. kind of massage it. You can cluster around these twenty-one points. So everyone nationwide is at twenty-one points out of twenty-five, and you're trying to find these little extra points. Mm-hmm. One of them, super easy one. What's your municipality going to do for you? Are they going to waive fees? Are they going to waive property tax? Are they going to give you expedited permits? All you need is one of those. Do you think I could get a single one? No, no chance. Nothing. I got chance. zero. Halifax was not in the business of helping me, you know, build affordable. Hit, hit one of those. Mm-hmm. Another one was form a partnership with a nonprofit or, um, you know, a, um, a, a partnership group. And that is where I, you know, everything that I mentioned earlier, that experience that I had was brutal. Mm-hmm. Brutal. People wouldn't call me back if they just say, "Yeah, it's not really our thing." I'm like, all I'm saying, and eventually I got a couple commitments, and the commitment was, I said, "This is all you have to say is, I will keep five units, you know, or whatever it would be yep. that you've got first right of refusal on." And when they come up available, I say, "Hey, do you want one?" And you, all you have to do is say yay or nay. And even to get that level of commitment out of some of these groups, they're like, "That's not in our mandate." We're handcuffed. That's not in our mandate. And that's not entirely their fault, but it's, it was really frustrating. But it was very difficult to tick those two boxes that in other areas, it's like tick, tick, no problem. Um, and then as a small guy, you're trying to build it and you're trying to build it economically, but the reality is you can't contract it. So you're going against these bigger groups, like some companies that have gotten the, these grants in yep. Halifax, yep. they don't need the money. They've got the money. They also could do this. getting these grants don't need the money. They could do these straight cash. Yeah. Right? They're just like, yeah, you want to give us money for free? Like, fine. Um, it, it's not geared for the success of, of someone like you or I. It's just not. Um, so you're right. They need to take down some of those barriers on the CMHC funding. But, again, that's a national program. It's – I don't know how because then you're trusting we're, – We're facing this problem nationally, though. I know, like, we're talking because it's more, again, a big thing for us because we're in Halifax. But this problem is across the board in all of Canada, really. There's a few places oh, – yeah. Totally. That it's not, oh but gosh. in general, it is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I just that was that was my thing. I couldn't believe when I was like, you know what? I want to do this. I would be happy to get do some affordable housing. Go to go through the process, and it was just like, it was like a, it was just oh. like a big like they were just not excited to even yeah. have me there. I was like, 
I thought you guys would like be wanting to have people that like want to like build the stuff and totally fund. And they were just like, no, like it's going to be a living nightmare for you to get approved. Yeah. Get the money, and you're gonna you're gonna spend two years, and you might not get it. Yeah, and then you can alternatively do what say like the CMHC Flex program, which is they'll do eighty five percent loan to value financing, and their conditions are a little less arduous. And you're like, okay, well, I'll go with that. It's the path of least resistance, but yeah, um, you know, it's it's a less affordable model. So again, yeah. you get disincentivized to do that. Um, and I still feel like okay, that'll serve you know, a certain demographic, but, you know, if you say then it's $1,400, um, you're not going to take a loss on that, are you? Or, or are you saying that then they'd also have to subsidize the housing on top of that? Like, you know. Well, by providing the loan, I don't think they're they're outstretching themselves because you're still going to be paying on the loan. Yeah. So they're making money on the loan. Oh, totally. But like, I how are I, you going to survive? They're going to have to subsidize off of that. Yeah. So yeah. like, they'll have to top you up with more money or they'll have to top up your 100 tenants. Yeah. I mean, the bureaucracy involved in topping up 100 tenants in one building in Nova Scotia when you're running the same program yeah, sure. across the country, like yeah. it's not, it's not feasible. No. Right. Like as a, a private sector, you cannot run at a loss. You no. just can't, you can't afford to keep people on payroll. Like, so it's not on. possible. Yeah. You know who is really good at running at a loss and does it all the time and just seems to be perfectly fine? The government. Yeah. So <laughs> why can't the government just build the building to begin with? Yeah. Like, I just don't understand yeah. why that's not the most logical thing. Because yeah. they could build 100 units. They could rent them out at $1,200. They could write off whatever losses. They could charge themselves, you know, 0% interest or forgivable loan through the government. And then they could pay the private sector to property manage it. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't tell me that, you know, the government couldn't, couldn't just write a blank check, have all these units built and, and hire companies. Cause then you could build these incredible state of the art buildings that have on-site, um, you know, mental health support, yeah. uh, on-site medical support, uh, a live-in super who's, you know, trained in some of these things. Like you yeah. could build these phenomenal complexes. I was thinking they that, yeah. just don't do it. Yeah. And I understand because, you know, you got a four year mandate. You're trying not to ruffle the feathers, try not to overspend and, they just kick it up the line and say, oh, you know, we're waiting on that money from the federal government. Or like the municipal government has no housing mandate. See, Halifax has no housing mandate municipally. So they just always blame the provincial government. The provincial government just blames the landlords, right? Like so no one's yeah. taking responsibility for it. And I think I think the fear, I think like you said, obviously there's a cost and they don't want to have that on their budget for someone like on the, on the Halifax level. And then I think there's been a lot of different locations. I don't know what to hear, but I feel like public housing in general always becomes so crappy. Like they just don't maintain it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it always becomes run down very infrequently. Do I see a public housing place and be like, Oh shit. Like that, that's actually like, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it's not even well maintained. Like they always are just like, well, I mean here they're just like, well, we, we painted the sidewall with a face. So now it's, I awesome. don't know, man. Like it, it's gotten a lot better, but certainly better, but there was still, a period of time it where rough. it was, it was bad. Yeah. Um, and our provincial government does not have a good history on, um, you know, providing public housing. So I, I can't speak uh, to what the last public housing project was that was built in Halifax, yeah. but I can't think of any in my lifetime, I, no. right? Like, yeah. you know, be it Uniac, Mulgrave, Jellybean, like all those areas, those were built for as long as I remember. I don't see them popping up any more stock lately. Nothing like, nothing on that scale. Yeah. They, there's a couple, like, they'll be like, oh, we've got four townhouses. And it's like. Yeah, or off Romans. Like, that That right. stock must be 35 years old. Yeah. Or, or more. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I just, like, you can you can create these systems whereby, you know, the private sector gets somehow incentivized to, to do a little bit, or the government can just go and, and build the stock. And True. I just, I, I don't see, I know I said this from the early on, unless the government becomes an active landlord and builds the stock themselves and takes the loss on them because they are going to run at a loss every single year in perpetuity. They have to, but that is what, you know, that is providing um, an essential service, right? Like, you know, you hospitals run technically run at a loss, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you take tax money, you run the hospital. And, you know, if that means paying more in property tax or these permitting costs, because another thing I discovered through the beautiful, you know, development application process is that they nickel and dime you into oblivion. You yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. they're like, we want affordable housing, but by the way, you know, Halifax water rates just went up. Nova Scotia power rates went up. Your permit application just went up. 
all of these things. And I know some of those, you know, technically Nova Scotia Power is private. Technically, Halifax Water is private. Crown. Both debatable. Yeah. Um, you know, if those go up, like, how are you supposed to maintain affordability? Yeah. Like, and maybe to bring us back around on a more micro level, how does this relate to someone who's doing the Burr model on a duplex or a triplex? Yeah. Talk to me about that. <laughs> Talk to me about that, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> well, but see, I think those models are only working because of what we're facing. Not only working because of that, because there's still yeah, opportunities out there. That's interesting way but to look at it. it. Well, but I think huh. it's, it's working on such a grand scale. Because it used to be like, okay, you had to hit a good deal on a place in a great location to be able to go in and do that. Now it's like, oh, there's a duplex in the middle of nowhere and the rents are crap. Well, there's so much demand and everything's so messed up. Yeah, buy, kick, jack things up, and you're going to get those crazy rents, right? Like those models are kind of only working because of what's happening right now, honestly. Wow, I never thought about that. It's like a chicken and the egg situation. Like did the small-scale landlords that turn over these units create the housing crisis or are they they're a product able of, they're a product of the Well, they're crisis. able to be successful because of the housing crisis. Able yeah. to be I I mm. think I'm 100% of, of the fact that the housing crisis is what's made me successful in real estate. Because hmm. if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be able to grow at the pace that I'm growing at. There's no way. So how do you reconcile that with your general good nature, man of the people outlook <laughs> on life? <laughs> I no, this is a legitimate question. No, we say honestly, this in jest, you but know like, what? I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm any better than anyone else. And I'm not too noble to say like, oh, I have someone offering me 1400 bucks a month for rent, but I feel better and I only needed $1,200. i am only going to rent for $1,200. I, I, I can't. I can't like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that to be honest. It, yeah, it's just no, I get it, man. Right, like it, it's a business. I run it as a business. Um, like you said, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm getting help from anywhere else. I really don't. Like it's not like they're handing me anything. Every day the prices go up. Um, everything's been jacked up in rates. Every permit's gone up in price. The codes are constantly changing. They don't make it any easier to do this stuff. So then when I have an opportunity to capitalize, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm going to capitalize. Yeah. So that's that's why I don't feel like doing that. I try my best to not gouge uh like in my sense if i'm if i'm getting that rent like i want to be offering a good product yeah right like i don't try and gouge with shitty product and go for those rents because there's nobody there's nothing else out there yeah um but on the flip side no i'm not offering discounts for for no reason i'm not uh, as strongly feeling about stuff where i'm like oh like even though this is available i'm gonna do this Mm -hmm. like just because i'm just so good like you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i'm not in that place of being that charitable at this point in my life yeah um, and I'm also quite frustrated because at the same time, even if I did do that, I would still take heat from all sorts of people who would have all sorts of shit to give me, even if I did that. It's like no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. What, what am I going to say? Like people are yelling at me like, oh, like you're part of the problem. I'm like, oh, but I have three units that I rent 500 bucks a month under for the amount of units I have. I'm doing great. They're like, yeah, screw yourself. Like, you know what I mean? They're just, they're not. So I'm like, I don't feel incentivized to, to do that. This is the issue too. um, is that I know as a landlord, and I can tell by kind of, you know, what you're saying there, that we do feel like we get scapegoated and there is no support for us. Um, and then as a tenant who's had a bad experience, I can understand why they feel sort of antagonistic, yeah. right? And then um, any time that there's any sort of publicity on it, I mean, look what, what happened when the pandemic hit and the first thing they did was freeze rents. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think is, was, was right and fair and, and perfectly fine. Yeah. But the underlying message of that was that the housing issue a is a landlord issue. I just fundamentally do not think that's true. Um, but that is the message that they, they stood up there and to the whole province said, this is a landlord-based problem, so we're going to come at the landlords to fix it. And that, to me, is the ultimate bait and switch. They've got a bunch of people angry at their landlords when they should be angry at the government. And mm-hmm. it's the greatest, like, a bait and switch that they've managed to pull off for literally decades now. Like, oh, you got an issue? Huh. Yeah, bad landlord. It's like, no. Like, the government is letting people down. They're letting the people down that are most at risk to begin with. And that's really who we should be concerned with. These people who are legitimately facing homelessness, um, they've let them down on on so many levels. But right now it's coming to a head and it's been exacerbated by um, like like the the pandemic and and everything. And this is great that it's bringing this attention to it. Um, 
but just across the level, they 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 just scapegoat the landlords. And I'm not here to be a landlord apologist. Um, it, <laughs> it's it's very interesting to think about the fact that um, the this model of buy a place, you know, move the tenants out, renovate the place, raise the rent, then go back to your bank and say, hey, it's worth way more now. Give me more money to do it again. That inherently displaces people and raises rents. Um, but there is this, you know, antagonistic dynamic set up of like, well, if the government's not helping these people and the government's not helping me, why does it all of a sudden become my responsibility to help them? And yep. yes, there's the common good idea that we should all be helping each other. But man, when I go through my property tax bills and every year they're way up and we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and I don't see a single unit being built by the government to provide one person even mm-hmm. an affordable place to live. And you can only that's enraging. $7. That's enraging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insulting. And I think it's insulting to the tenants and it's insulting to the population of the province that, that they do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I guess, yeah, the rent control works on a temporary basis because of what was happening with COVID. But rent control has no merit in fixing the affordability issue. It just doesn't. Like, it, it is in so many different ways. Like, there's, there's the aspect of like, okay, so you're stuck on rent controls. Everything else is going up in price. So what you have to cut somewhere becomes maintenance of the building. Oh, yeah. Totally. yeah. So people are living in complete and total disrepair. Or, like, I have, I was speaking with another, uh, one of my clients who was from an era way back when they had rent controls, and he said, yeah, okay, I followed them. When my unit came up for turnover at 500 bucks, let's say, I got 30 applicants. I didn't take any of the people, I just took top people. He said, I still got applicants that made full good money that could pay two grand a month. He's like, I'm going to take them, obviously, instead of taking someone that's just barely making ends meet to get into this $500 unit. Like yeah, and in a city that's growing, like, you're literally saying, okay... You know, welcome to our city, by the way, we're going to screw you over because we're yeah. going to overcharge you based on the fact that we can't charge market rents for everyone else. Then the new units go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you create all these like other problematic tiers and, you know, all these rent controlled areas don't seem to have cheap rent. So I don't really know that there's a tie there. Toronto's you also, a prime example. Yeah, you disincentivize maintenance of buildings and you aggressively incentivize new construction. And not just new rental construction, typically more new condo construction. Yeah. If you look at, again, another one the client showed me, the the second the rent controls went in in Toronto, multi-unit apartment construction dropped off aggressively. Condo construction picked up aggressively. Because at that point, as a developer, it's not like, you know what I mean? Like the investment as a rent-controlled one, you can literally just boil it out. You know exactly what you're going to make because you're stuck to that because those building yeah. values are based on your rents. Yeah. Nothing else, effectively. Yeah. Uh, versus if you make your condos, you can make your money. The condos obviously sell off for big money yep. and then they get rented out privately yep. for crazy numbers. Yeah. And then you get into further inflating the price of the market as you sell these condos exactly. to speculative investors and then people who can't live in the actual homes that they own to begin with. Like they can't afford to, to yep. buy single family homes. Which so we can agree on a temporary measure, rent control. Oh my God. Like, merit, like, but on a long-term fix, yeah, it yeah, has man, no it, value. It was needed for sure. And, and I think some of the steps towards, you know, protecting people who are in places um, and all that sort of stuff is, is required. But again, to me, it's like, you know, what's the expression that, that there's a big hole in the boat over here and we're sinking and you're over here like plugging little cracks in, yeah. in, in the hull of the boat. Yeah. Um, it, it, it starts with the government intervening on a massive scale to provide, and that means build create stock of housing and then support these people, you know, through other means too, mental health, transit, all of these things. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just too grandiose and it's not realistic. And I don't know, like if you're shooting for some utopian ideal, it's not going to happen. So these, these small steps are important, but it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be on a grand scale and, and multi-pronged. We're going to do some research. So next time we come on, I just want to see what other options. I feel like there's definitely parts of the world that the government builds the affordable housing and actually upkeeps it and creates like a community out of it. Yeah. That is actually nice. Like, it's funny in my head, all I can think of something like Sweden. Sweden. <laughs> Sweden's, Everyone, got, Sweden's Sw- got to have this figured Sweden's out. Sweden's got to have this. Everyone yeah. goes, whenever there's a financial issue, people are like, but Sweden. Well, a lot of those areas, man, they do have these cohabitation, like rooming houses, which for a long, like our city went out of its way to ban rooming houses. Yeah. Yeah. How backwards is that? <laughs> Right, it's like, oh, people living together, sharing one community space, and a shared <laughs> kitchen to keep their costs down. How dare they? Shut it down. Right, that, so that makes no sense. Did we solve it? No. Uh, I would Damn say it. that we still have some work to do on solving it. I was going to bring up another topic, and we'll talk about this another time. But that's increasing pay 
is $15 an hour minimum wage. Oh, God. What are we getting into here? Going to fix affordable housing. But that's for another time. Oh, okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. But, hmm. no. So we didn't solve it. I think I like both ideas. The only reason I'm so hell-bent on the privatizing it, I don't know, I'll just to summarize, is pace. Yeah. Is pace. That's I'm on the pace idea because what's happening right now is everyone's freaking out at how fast the private sector is doing non-affordable. And so they're trying to, like, punish them for that. Uh, and then on the flip side, like, I just know if it goes down, it, well, it, there, there is lots of money floating around. Like, I see these announcements with big amounts of money floating around for affordable housing, but I just don't see where what's happening with it. No, it's it's true, and you're right that even if the government started today and say, hey, we're going to be landlords, it would probably take... Um, Five you know, years to really start seeing stuff going on. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. That's where you engage the private sector. You get Lindsay Construction to go out there and say, hey, you know, here's the money. Build us an 80 unit right down there. And the, you know, 18 months it takes you to do it, we'll figure out the back end. Yeah. Right? Like, the government has this money, man. They have no problem writing checks. You know, so figure it out. The other thing I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking, we were saying, like, these numbers, they don't make sense. You know why they do make sense for the government? It's because they don't have to worry about repaying principal. Yeah, no kidding. It's a forgivable loan. And there's no interest because it's their money. And also, it's cheaper than dealing with the displacement of these individuals, which creates further mental health issues that have to be maintained. It help, it stresses uh, the social services net. It stretches health care. It is like getting a bunch of people to quit smoking. Even yeah. if you have to pay them to quit smoking, it is better, right? Housing people, even if the government has to do it and take that quote-unquote loss, it saves money while yeah. making our society a better place. So. It seems like a no-brainer, um, and the only excuse that, that I've heard is like, yeah, but the government kind of sucks at rolling these things out. And I don't know that that's a good enough answer, right? Like, we have to I'm not saying like it, it's a good answer. I'm just saying like I think that's literally, yeah. that's literally yeah. the answer. I think in the sense of like you see it. You, you know what I mean? They suck at rolling out a lot of these different things. I don't know if it's the only answer. There's a million aspects to it, but I think it's one of the, I think it's one of the big parts of it. Well, it's also going to be the same thing uh, when we deal with our aging population. How are we yeah. going to provide housing for our aging population. So the government needs to fi- figure it out. And that is pay the money, foot the bill, build the place, get the private sector to manage it. Right? That's kind of the, yeah. the way that I think it works. But damn it, I thought we were going to solve it today, Neil. I really we, felt good about I, it when I came yeah, in today. Yeah, same. I had a lot of notes. Yeah. I thought we had it all lined up. <laughs> we're going to walk out of here. This is going to go super viral. Everything going to be fixed. They're going to be playing this yeah. around the world in different yeah. cities. Like it's New York, we have over. issues with affordable housing. <laughs> Here's Neil and Chandler. They have the answers. Yeah. But okay. we didn't do it. But I think we had a good conversation. I think there's a lot of things still to touch on. I only got down about halfway through here. So I think we're going to be bringing this topic up. This might be a part one or part two because you messed with me a little bit when we talked about how that model is really only successful because of the housing crisis. So the gov- which I think comes back to the fact, like, why are we looking at the landlords? as It's their fault. It's like, no, no. Who created this environment whereby they could do this? They're capitalizing on right? the gold rush. Yeah. Um, that's all we're all doing. And then people are doing it. Like, we're kind of here encouraging people to do it on a micro level. Raise the value of a property. Raise the rent. So, you're really giving me something to think about. <laughs> all all right. right. Well. That's a great again, chat. Yeah. I'm excited by this episode. I don't know what episode we're in, but. Let's get this thing edited so we can go back and get this one make sure we didn't say anything too crazy. ASAP. Take out anything that's going to cause our businesses to go to zero. <laughs> no, I, listen, I, I, I think this is a, an important conversation yeah. to have. It's important to be reflective on it. Yeah. Um, and it's important to be a realist, right? Like, yeah, you big know, time. we do this to provide for our families. Yeah. Um, and how do we balance that with, you know, making our, our communities a better place and um, contributing to this broader conversation? I hope we can get some people to actually listen to this one and give us some feedback on kind of what they think about affordable housing. Because I think, again, we come from a very opinionated stance being landlord slash developer kind of people. Uh, so we have a very, I don't want to say one-sided, but we're kind of on that one side of this conversation. Oh, totally. Both we're we're coming at it from our, our perspective 100%. We also come at it from, man, like every time a landlord would do something stupid around town and get in trouble, I'm like, man, this guy, he's yeah. going to get us. He's going to screw us all, <laughs> right? Like, like this yeah. guy's going to get us rent control. So the majority of landlords, in my experience are well-intentioned. Yeah. Some of them get very bitter over the years. Yeah. Uh, and some of them can be a little less than decent. Yeah. Um, but they're not they're not the majority. And I think most landlords, like I would, I would love a landlord registry. That's yeah. a topic for another day. I would welcome a landlord registry. 
Neil's eyes just nearly fell out of his head. So Neil is not going to be on the Rainbow Registry, folks. Um, I, I would welcome it, but that's just me. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we're we're gonna this is we're gonna touch back on this. There's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, very I'm cool. Little, I'm a little stressed out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Up. Okay. Master Keys Podcast. Tanner in the back. We need the applause. Cue it. There we go. Love it. All right, we're out of here.